So we're privileged to have both Kieran and Holly come and share tonight. But first up, we're going to have Holly to come. So let's welcome Holly. She comes to share her story tonight. Hi, um, I'm Holly and I'm 22 and I'm from Coleraine and Phyllis asked me to come and share just my story of how I got the Teen Challenge. So growing up for me, I grew up in a good home. My mum and dad both worked, but they had good jobs. You know, I had everything I needed materialistic-wise. My dad worked away in Saudi Arabia, so he always came back and forth to our family home. So things with my mum and dad because of their, their jobs and things like that, you know, their marriage broke down whenever I was very young. So that affected me in a, in a strong way because um, I was my daddy's girl and I loved my dad and I always felt safe my dad was around. Um, so my dad moved out of our family home and my mum started to get different partners. And through my mum having different partners, you know, from being eight years of age, a darkness came into my life with my mum's different partners. And, you know, that completely stripped me bare as a child. I didn't know who I was what what was going on and you know I just I just got so confused for being so young and I just went on my life and just just continued on and just confused and just didn't know really what I, what a purpose was in life so I went into school primary school and I was so rebellious and I was really naughty and always getting into trouble in primary school same with secondary school and I went to secondary school and I just I got into the wrong group of friends and as you know, like when you, you go to secondary school, you try and fit in and have an identity, and I didn't know who I was, so I found a group of people that I felt like I fit in with, and, you know, they were smoking and drinking, and before I knew it, I was smoking and drinking, and um, always hang about with my sister's friends. She's five years older than me, so her friends had then been introduced to the drug scene, so I thought I would be trying and fit in with them, and I decided to take drugs myself. Um, I got myself addicted to crystal meth for two years and if you don't know what that is it's it's a pretty strong drug and it sends your mind it just your mind just races and I loved it absolutely loved it I didn't have to think about anything I just had to just go about and feel I, I don't really know what it was I felt but I knew I felt comfortable whenever I'd taken this drug after a while, I tried to fulfill my life with boyfriends and jobs, and I, I got myself a job, and I was a care assistant. Um, I thought I'd made it, I got myself my own house, and I thought, you know, this is really good, this is, I can do this, I can take my drugs, go to work, get my money, and I don't need anybody else. And, you know, that just wasn't how it happened at all. I ended up getting a lot of different drugs, owing out a lot of money for them. I couldn't cope with going to work without having drugs, couldn't do my day without taking drugs, and. You know, my family tried to say, Holly, this isn't the, the life you need to live. And I just, I didn't want to listen to them at all. I just thought I knew best and always think I know best. And, you know, I really didn't at all. So I decided, right, I need to come off the meth. And that's what I did. But I ended up getting myself addicted to um, diazepam and cannabis and a lot of different prescription drugs and going from an upper to a downer. It completely shattered my mind, my whole mind. I became paranoid and I became, you know, not very nice person, became really angry and horrible and just not nice to my family or anybody around me. I lost my job and I just went into a darkness, a spiral, was staying in houses. I lost my house. Um, I had to stay with different people and the houses weren't very nice and neither was the people and you know I felt like that's where I did belong then because I made that for myself and you know it just 
it was absolutely awful. It was, I tormented myself. So as again, I thought I knew best, I had went out on a night out and I was trying to perk myself up as you do. And, you know, I went out and I had took a lot, a lot of drugs and came back and I owed out quite a number of some money in the Monday morning. And I thought my benefits would come through, I would just pay it, but they didn't. And the drug dealer that I owed money to was, you know, ringing me and ringing me. And I just, I just couldn't cope with the anxiety anymore. And I thought, I've had enough. I just don't want to live in this world anymore. I don't belong in this world. And, you know, I'd taken that many prescription drugs. I packed a bag and I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide. And, you know, I was walking down towards River Ban and my head was that messed up. I had packed like a swimming suit in my bag because I was going to drown myself. Like that's how far gone my mind actually was. Me and my dad laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. And I walked down and I had nobody to talk to. I didn't know where I was going. I just started walking towards River Ban and Corian. And I say, my mum's friend, she owns her own business. And I thought, right, okay, I seen her and she seen me and she was shouting me in and I went in and she knew, you know, that I'd taken a lot of drugs. I'd overdosed the year before. I was in intensive care for five days on a life support machine in a coma. And, you know, it was horrendous for my family. And I didn't even know that I was there. I woke up in the hospital and I tried to rip all the tubes out and thought, no, no way, I can't be lying in hospital if I don't feel well. I need to go and get drugs. And I tried to tell the nurse, oh, you need to give me diazepam. And she was saying, no, love, you don't need no diazepam. You've already overdosed. And, you know, I was trying to tell her what I needed and she was like, you know, you need to stay here. So I got out of the hospital the next day, I went to my mum's and I came back and I just went back out and used drugs and that's where it had taken me to where I was just going to commit suicide. I was just trying to keep going and going and I went into my mum's friend and she took me up to the hospital and I was speaking to the psychiatric nurse and she was saying, you know, you really need help. And she phoned my dad and my dad was down straight away. She says to me, have you ever heard of a place called FASA? And I said, no. So she gave me a prescription for diazepam and sent me up the road to Belfast with my dad. Um, I went into FASA and it's, if you don't know what FASA is, it's a place where you can get acupuncture to calm yourself and, you know, you get counselling and things like that. So I went in there just to give anything a shot. Um, and my dad wouldn't give me diazepam until I got there anyway, so I had to go. Um, so, <laughs> so I went up there and the man was there and he says, look, I don't usually do this, but I'm a Christian. Do you mind if I pray for you? And my dad's a born again Christian. So I says, yes, and I think that make me feel better. So the both of them started praying. The man says, have you ever heard of Teen Challenge? And I said, no. And he says, it's a rehab. And as soon as I heard rehab, I thought, no way, I don't need to go to rehab. You know, I've never heard anybody going to rehab in my life. Um, so my dad was like, this is what you need to do. And I had nowhere else to go. I had no home, I had nothing, I had no belongings. I'd lost everything, all my clothes, everything. So I thought that's the only option I've got. So my dad phoned my outreach worker, Leroy, and you know, I met up with him and I met Nicola first. I went to the Bible study and you know, I was awful. I was six stone, didn't want to be there. Just sat in the corner and cried. And I just had sat and thought, how did my life get this bad? And, you know, I'm only 22 now, so at the time I, I was only 19, 20 odd, and, you know, it was absolutely horrendous. And Lee said, you know, the rehab's in Wales, and I thought, no way am I going to Wales. But I had to go, and I came to this church with my dad, and it was tough talk that was here, and the man was talking about his mum had went to Wales, and she was an alcoholic, and my dad was nudging me because he knew that's where I was going. And, you know, it was just it was just a blur, really, how I got into Teen Challenge. I had to get a detox. They wouldn't detox me in Teen Challenge because I was on quite a lot of 
drugs and they didn't have the detox for it. So my dad and my doctor got um, a plan for me. I stepped down on my diazepam every day and my dad kept controlling my, my tablets and that's basically just how I did it. And I went off to Teen Challenge on the 2nd of November 2015 and it was absolutely horrendous when I got there. I absolutely hated it. They told me what to do. I wasn't allowed to smoke. I wasn't allowed to swear. I wasn't allowed to do whatever I wanted. And like, I have always been in charge of my life and people were telling me I wasn't allowed red sauce for my dinner. And it's like, you know, you just don't understand like why are people telling me I can't have things? But whenever your mind starts to get clear, you start to understand, you know, being an addict, you need to remember you're not always in control and you need to know that you have boundaries in your life and now you know that. And from being so paranoid on the program, like the only thing I could really do was turn my eyes to God. And I seen everybody else doing it, worshiping God and reading their Bibles. And I thought, no way, I'm not doing that. But I ended up, I did. And quite quickly, God met me in the chapels in Hope House. And, you know, like, it completely touched my heart and my mind. And my mind was completely restored. I haven't been paranoid since. And, you know, it's, it's just by the grace of God that I'm living today. Because if I hadn't, I've, I would have died. And I've now completed Teen Challenge, completed Phase 4. And I've now moved up to Willoughby House. I'm now at the Teen Challenge Leadership Academy. And, you know, it's amazing how quickly God has just grabbed me from being in a horrible place and just put me in a beautiful place at Cope House and like he loves God, loves me and I could never understand that but now today I do understand it so Phil had asked me to come and share and I feel privileged that I could come and share now so thank you. Hello church, good evening. My name's Kieran, and I come from West Belfast. Um, I come from a family of six. Uh, growing up in my life, I, I don't remember much till the age of seven, where I was abused sexually at the age of seven, and from then on, uh, I led a troubled young life. Um, I got through at a primary school at the age of 10, and I've never been to school from then. I was in and out of institutions as a 10-year-old, and basically that was... Uh, the pattern of my life up until 29, it was a revolving door of in the institutions. Uh, I got involved in taking drugs at the age of 12, like sniffing glue and, and things like that. And it progressed to going, going on to use uh, more harder drugs. And it was the same with, with my bad behaviour. You know, at the, at the young age, it was patty stealing and things like that. And I went on to do more worse things and, 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 and have done a couple of long sentences. and in jail and I say these things people to show you what, what God has done in my life not to, to glorify any of the old parts whatsoever and, and that was my life a revolving door of, of prison and crime and drugs until the age of, of 29 in 2014 I lost my two best friends um, and both of the times they died I was there and when that happened, something inside me happened. I started to think about, about changing my life and becoming a normal person, but getting clean, just being a normal man, really, and doing the, the opposite of what I've always done. And I ended up in a night shelter in Belfast City Centre, Centenary House. And just out of the blue one night, I believe God used this man to speak to me because I'd never heard about Team Challenge or been on the outreach bus or anything like that. And he, he quickly told me about Team Challenge and how a, a lad had went over before and completely changed his life and so on. And I filled the application forms out and given them the next morning. 
and he put me in touch with my outreach worker Lee. And over the next seven weeks, I used to go to the wee, the wee, the wee uh, like coffee dinner thing in, in the Albert Bridge Road. And seven weeks after meeting Lee, I arrived at Wallaby House. It was in uh, May 2015, and I arrived at Wallaby House. I was a broken man. I was depressed. I was paranoid. I was, I was slowly losing my mind. And from the DNR, I walked in there as soon as... Brian Fisher picked me up actually from the airport and this is a guy at work, sir, he's an advisor and he shared a bit of his testimony with me in the car bringing me here and his testimony, it was like, it was like me looking in the mirror. He had, he had been involved in, in, with drugs from an early age. He had been in and out of prison. He had tortured his family, his ma, things like that and, and something, something happened when he was telling me that. When I arrived at Willoughby House, on the first day, uh, I stopped swearing. I, I, I started to, the only time I ever went to pray to God was before I was up for a bail hearing or, or was up for sentencing. And I started to go in the room at night time, you know, and pray and get on my knees and pray to God and ask God to, to, to do something in my life and know to change my life. Uh, going to Team Challenge, I had that mustard seed of faith coming from a Catholic background that I always believed in Christ and, and God, but hadn't a clue about the cross, about his forgiveness, about his love and so on. And So I'd done my, my program in Willoughby House and halfway through it I started seeing a counsellor called Brian Sennett over there. And all the guilt and the shame and the pain that I carried from, from that young age, from the sexual abuse that that in a way that I masked myself to portray myself to be this other person to hide that. I've seen him five times and, and, and God has completely tucked that away from deep down where I had it buried, where, where I can share that in a church like now. I could sit around a table with 50 guys and share that and to encourage people, you know, he completely took all that guilt and shame and pain out of me. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that. So I've done my program, I finished my program and I went into the Leadership Academy in Mullaby House and I was uh, blessed with the opportunity to go to Middlesbrough and work for six months doing the outreach up there on a team of four. And I went up there and done the outreach and finished that and come back to the team challenge and, and had the opportunity to, to continue working as a part-time uh, support worker while I was still finishing the school. I finished the Leadership Academy next week and you know I've been blessed with the opportunity to, to stay there and continue to learn and be taught with the people there and continue to work alongside them. And, you know, I just want to thank God for everything that he's done in my life because I have I seen psychiatrists as a 10-year-old. I've been in nerdy institutions. I've, I've been on scripts from doctors. I've been kneecapped by paramilitaries. I've had all that sort of stuff done. And I say that to say that they couldn't change me and nothing like that changed me until I went into the team challenge that day. And when I look back, when I only went into the team challenge, it was, it was strange and it was weird when I only went in and people worshipping and all that sort of thing, but it was strange and weird in a good way. And when I look back now, I, 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 knew, I know that God had his hand in my life when I walked in there for me to completely change. I, I describe it, and I describe this in here in my heart when I say this. I, I arrived at Willoughby House like a pit bull, and I changed into a Jack Russell immediately from the first day. That's how I, I sort of describe it, to describe myself, and... And, you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunities that I've had. And I'm, I'm starting my MVQ level two. I want to add this, that I've never been to school from a 10-year-old. And I could hardly use computers and do basic things like that. And I'm starting my MVQ level two in there and, and health and social care. And 
you know, what, what God's doing in my life is, is, is nothing short of amazing and just over two years and I'm completely humble and thankful for what he's done because, you know, it's all that he, all I done was go on the plane and go over and eat the food. You know, he, he's done the rest and I give him all the glory and all the praise for what he's done in my life and what he's going to do. Thank you. Every day I see men and women like Kieran and Holly from all different parts of the British Isles. I see God lifting people, transforming their lives and making them brand new. It's the most encouraging thing in the world. It really is. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are here who have supported Teen Challenge, stand alongside us in some way, have prayed for the guys who are here. Let me just say, you can be certain that what they've said tonight is true. Holly's dad's here. He's got his daughter back. Kieran's mum and sister and brother are here. They've seen the reality of the transformation that has taken place in their lives. I was speaking to a, a gentleman before the service started. His son is just about to finish the program at Willoughby House and is going on to a training program that we run. And he said, you know, it's not just him that's changed. He says, our whole family's life has changed because we've had to live with that since he was 15. And that's one of the brilliant things that happens. And just for a few moments, I want to share with you before your barbecue, and it's to say something you know and that I would have said before here. In Psalm 113, in verse 6 it says, Who is like the Lord our God? who sits enthroned on high. And the psalmist is trying to draw our attention to the greatness of God, that there's nobody else like him. And the way he does that, he says, who is like the Lord our God who sits enthroned on high? He stoops down to look at the heavens. So that you would understand how great God is, the way the psalmist describes it is, God is so great, he stoops down to look at the heavens. The largest thing we know of in our world, in our understanding, are the heavens. We haven't quite got it all sussed, but we know it's big out there. We live... In one relatively tiny planet, in a medium-sized galaxy called the Milky Way. Now apparently in that galaxy, there might be a billion stars and planets, which is quite a lot. The closest 
star to us is the sun. It's 93 million miles away. 93 million miles is quite far. So to understand how far 93... Work with me for a minute. If you imagine you got in the car with Davy, and Davy could drive at 186,000 miles a second, which is fast, it would take you eight minutes to get to the sun. But apparently, there are hundreds of millions of galaxies in our universe. They think there's somewhere between 500 million and a billion galaxies. They're not sure. And one of them that astronomers like especially, it's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. They like it because it's really pretty when you stare at it through a big telescope. The Whirlpool Galaxy isn't the furthest one away, but if you got in the car with Davy and traveled at 186,000 miles a second to the Whirlpool Galaxy, it would take 32 million years to get there. Eight minutes to get to the sun, 93 million miles away, 32 million years to get to the Whirlpool Galaxy. The heavens are quite big. There's a whole lot out there. The God we're here worshiping tonight is so big, he has to stoop down when he wants to look at the heavens. In spite of how vast they are, he actually has to bend down and look to see them because they're so much smaller than him. That's a great God. But the psalmist isn't simply wanting to tell you about a God who's stooping down to look at the heavens. He's making a a very particular point. He says he stoops down to look at the heavens and the earth. This tiny planet, God's looking at it. He stooped down to look at it. But this is why he stoops down. It says he stoops down to look at the earth and he lifts the poor from the dust. And he lifts the needy from the garbage heap. There is nobody else like our God who is like the Lord our God who is so great, so glorious, so vast, yet he is stooping down, not just to look with curiosity, he's stooping down to lift up the poor from the dust and to lift the needy from the garbage heap. There are 15 million people in the world who live on rubbish dumps. There are children who have never been off the rubbish dump in their life. They were born there. They work there. 
They've never been outside it in some parts of the world. But there is a God in heaven tonight who's stooping down with the express intention of lifting them up. They might not matter to some people in the world. They might not matter to some politicians. And you've heard Holly's story tonight. And Holly's story is about a God who stooped down to lift her up. Having suffered some things that brought a particular darkness into her life as a child, and then looking for acceptance out of that, she got enslaved to drugs. But there was a God who wanted to stoop down and pick her up. And he did that through someone in FASA who said, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm a Christian. Could I pray with you? That same God who stooped down to pick Holly up, stooped down to pick Kieran up. From the age of 10 to the age of 29, his life in tatters, going into a hostel in Centenary House. A worker there said, do you know about Teen Challenge? And God was using that person to pick Kieran up out of the dust to transform his life. Because that's what God does. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is committed to stooping down? The greatest evidence of God stooping down in history happened when a baby was born in a manger in Bethlehem and God, the Son of God, became a man, stooped down to our level to show us what he was like, not to satisfy our curiosity, but to lift us up, to change our lives, because we needed help. And the story of Jesus' life and ministry is this. He went about everywhere picking broken people up. He got a reputation because of the people that he hung out with. He got a reputation because he spent his time with the broken, with the marginalized, with people who had a bad reputation in society, but he knew they needed to be lifted up. I love the fact that God is committed to lifting people up because on the 15th of July, 1979, God stooped down and he picked me up out of the mess that I was in. And it might be that you're in here tonight and you know you're broken. You know this is not what life is all about. You're trying desperately to make sense of it and make it work, but this isn't it. 
And I want to say to you tonight, there is a God who loves you so much that he stoops down in order to lift you up. And that's all that Jesus spent his time doing. When he described his ministry, he described it in this way. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To open the eyes of the blind. To bind up the brokenhearted. He talked about a mandate that he had for the enslaved, the oppressed, the poor, the afflicted. And that's the purpose of God. To lift people up. And if you're here tonight and you know you need lifted up, I want to tell you, that's what God wants to do. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, it's expressed like this. It says, God is near to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. There's an awful lot of people who are brokenhearted. God is near to the brokenhearted. His purpose is to rescue those whose spirits are crushed. And life's not fair and some people have been treated horribly and things have gone on in their lives that have pained them deeply and wounded them and sometimes hurt people, hurt other people. And the cycle goes on. But God wants to change that. So he stoops down to lift people up. What's exciting about it, and let me move towards a close, but what's exciting about it is it says, he lifts up the poor from the dust and he picks up the needy from the garbage dump and he seats them with princes. Even the princes of their people. Those of you who are Christians in here tonight understand there are a lot of things that God does to lift you spiritually in your life. To give you hope and a future. But when the psalmist is describing the heart of God for men and women who are broken, who are crushed. He says... He lifts them to sit them with princes, even the princes of their people. God intends to do great things in your life here and now. To lift you into situations you never imagined you would be in. To take you to places you never imagined you would be. To give you opportunities that were beyond your wildest expectations. Because God made you for life and life in all of its fullness. And he wants to lift people who the world have not even taken notice of. Who are broken, who are destitute. 
who are marginalized. And he said, the world doesn't recognize the value of you, but I know you're valuable and I want to lift you up and I'm going to sit you with princes and one day people will look and they'll realize the value that's in you and they'll see my image in you and they'll recognize something of the glory of God in you. There's people who have walked past Holly and Kieran at the worst and despised the sort of people that they were. But in future, they're going to take notice of what God has done and how God has transformed them and what God has made them into and what he's done for them. Let me tell you, it's not just them. He's doing it for people all over this nation. It's the heart of God. He's committed to lift up. I have the privilege as Vice President of Global Teen Challenge of traveling around the world to help in nations that are trying to lift the broken. We're in 122 nations of the world. What I see in the UK, I see in every other nation of the world I travel to. God is transforming people's lives. If you're here tonight and you're broken, if you're here tonight and you're trodden down, I want to assure you there's a God who loves you and wants to lift you up. But can I say as I close, I know there are many of you here tonight and you want to make your lives count. And I would say to you this. If you will commit to stoop down, to lift others up, God will bless everything that you do to that end. Because the way primarily God stoops down now to lift the poor and the broken is through men and women, through a FASO worker, through a hostile worker, through an outreach worker, through a concerned mum or dad, through a friend who says you don't have to stay down there. Your life doesn't have to end like this. It doesn't have to be like this. It can be very different. And some of you here tonight are wondering how best to use the time that you have. And I want to say to you, one of the things you can do to use the time you have Lift others up. Lift the broken. Lift the marginalized. There's a reason Jesus spent his time engaged with a particular part of the community. They understood they needed help. Our towns and our cities are still filled with people who need help. The world doesn't always have time for them. There's huge burdens of pressure financially on agencies. And none of that stops us 
from being men and women who stoop down to lift others up. Who is like the Lord our God? There is no one like the Lord our God. What paramilitaries, what drugs workers, what jail, what probation and everybody else couldn't do, God did in Kieran's life. Team Challenge didn't do it. We simply stood alongside someone while God lifted them up. I pray, God, if you're here tonight and you need help, you're broken, let God lift you up. Amen.